Well, good morning. Uh, the Lord's put on my heart uh, a message about dwelling in His presence. Our family lived in China for 10 years, and uh, living, living there, we found some things, I found some things that I really didn't understand, um, such as, uh, well, one time, it was our first year, we, we visited our students' home in another town, and the host there honored me. They, they made this special sour fish soup that was a specialty of, of their town. And it had uh, whole fish floating around in it. And uh, the host served me to honor me, the, cut off the head and put it in my bowl of rice. Uh, I did, to honor me, that I did not understand. Another thing, I, I used to... Uh, go to the school cafeteria at the university I taught at sometimes for lunch. And what I didn't understand is there's all kinds of students, like China has a lot of people, right? And so everybody lined up perfectly in the line to get the rice on your tray. And then when you line up at the counters to uh, get all the dishes that you want, uh, it was a total free-for-all. And it was just like, fight your way in. I have my tray up like this, and I try to be... You know, and I didn't get it. Why do we line up for rice and we fight for everything else? Um, another thing, one time we had a intramural teachers volleyball tournament. And uh, at one of the games, I ended up uh, dislocating my pinky. It was kind of sticking up over the other bone in the knuckle. And it was okay, but the bone was stuck there. So they, they took, right across the street was the university clinic. And... Um, they didn't have an x-ray machine, but they said, we'll offer to give you acupuncture. I was like, what? What is acupuncture going to do for, for a dislocated pinky bone? So, um, you know, some th those things I didn't understand. But there was, a, there was another important thing uh, that I really didn't understand. And it's probably not just China, but I saw it with married couples in China. And that was how common it was that for a long period of time, like six months, a year, or even more, that husband and wife would live apart from each other just to take advantage of an education or work opportunity. So in the name of their family economy and money, uh, they were sacrificing living together. Sometimes parents with young children, they just weren't living together. And I couldn't understand what kind of relationship can you have if you're married and living in different countries or living in different cities and or not living with your young children. Um, and I know they had goals, but I just didn't understand those. Uh, frequently, we would hear our, our students would tell us a common Chinese saying, and maybe it's not just Chinese saying, but they would say, love is the tomb of marriage. And no, I got that backwards. Marriage is the tomb of love. Marriage is the tomb of love. That is sad. And Kathy and I would always say, no, 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 it's not supposed to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. Um, and, uh, you know, how can, but how can you have love and passion and a healthy relationship when you don't have presence? Right? Uh, Proverbs 27.8 says, Like a bird that strays from its nest is a man who strays from his home. And uh, what's true in our human family relationships also applies to our relationship with God. 
And how can we have more passion for God? How many of you want to have more passion for God? I just, the Lord is, is telling us, pointing out some things to us. How can we live daily with more joy and peace? How can we more consistently overflow with love to those around us? How can we experience more of God's power regularly in our lives? Well, I think dwelling in his presence, or as Jesus said, abide in me. Dwelling in his presence is a key to our faith and all of our life in him. And I feel like the Lord has given us some keys for how to, how to dwell or abide in his presence. And the first one, he says, is we must believe that the Lord welcomes us into his presence each day and at all times. He is welcoming. He is inviting. You know, having the fear of the Lord is good. Indeed, it's necessary to, have, to fear the Lord. Uh, but we need not fear or avoid entering God's presence uh, because we have been made holy by the blood of Jesus who washes away our sins. Any voice or anything in our hearts that tells us otherwise is not right. In Hebrews 10, 19-22, it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. So we don't need to be timid about coming to God. So that's the first thing. Next, God wants us to treasure his love as our greatest possession. Sometimes this is a struggle for me, maybe for all of us. I mean, what is better than his love? And really, what else do we ultimately need? Um, Jesus told a little parable in Matthew 13. Two little parables, actually. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. You know, there are many things in the world that vie for our hearts. Things chase after our hearts. I mean, so much of the world is geared toward advertising. You know, they're trying to get our money, but to get our money or whatever other allegiance, uh, they're, they're really going after our hearts. And uh, it's a struggle. I know, I feel it. But we must make a choice to treasure his love above all things. The third key is that the Lord is calling us to choose what's better just as Mary did. And Kathy just read uh, this story about Mary and Martha. And, uh, uh, you know, Mary was sitting, listening to Jesus. She was just sitting in his presence. Probably Martha was doing the right cultural thing, right? 
Martha was doing what she should do. Martha was doing the responsible thing by being a good hostess, by preparing what needed to be prepared and doing uh, what needed to be done. And she was a little upset that her sister was, was not helping, right? But let me read again Jesus' response. He said, Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. I just, that strikes me the last words he has there. It will not be taken away. Like, I am happy that she is choosing to sit at my feet and listen to me. And he was protecting her. He, treas- he treasured her. Uh, you know, God wants us to treasure his love. He treasures our presence. He treasures our love for him. That's, that's an amazing thing. And, uh, you know, Jesus said a lot of those things Martha was worried about weren't really needed in comparison to sitting in his presence listening. And that was Mary's choice. And Jesus is implying it should be our choice too. It is our choice. It's a choice that we make. We don't always make the best choice, right? We don't. Not everything we do is automatically what God wants us to do. And so Jesus is saying, hey, you have a choice, and I want you to choose to abide in my presence. It's actually a lot more important than most or even all of the other things that you think are important. Does that mean we shouldn't uh, clean the house, do the dishes, cook? No, but you know what? Those things really, in the ultimate scheme of things, aren't that important. Sometimes in our relationships with each other, husband and wife and family, we need to remember those things aren't the most important things. One thing, really one thing is needful. Um, And so, yeah, how many things are we worried and upset about? How many things are constantly calling to us, calling for our attention? You know, I think about it, Mary and Martha, Martha didn't even have a smartphone sitting in her pocket. I mean, I think in our day and age, we are especially challenged, not only things that are needful, things that are responsible to be done, but we're actually called by a lot of other things that are just distracting. I think more than previous generations even, we need to guard our time and make choices carefully with our time of what's really needful, what's most important, because you can't do everything. And if we're, we're not careful, we can be pulled away from what's really most important. So another key that the Lord pointed out is he's calling us that sometimes we need to come away from the crowds, come away from the noise, just like Jesus himself did. And I've got, I, I think I've got six verses here, but just to show you uh, how it says this is Jesus' lifestyle. Being, he is the Son of God, and this was what he did. Matthew 14, 23. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. Mark 1, 35. Very early in the morning. That's the part I don't like. Very early in the morning, 
While it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Mark 6.46, after leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Luke 5.16, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Luke 6.12, one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. Luke 9.28, about eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. And so you see a pattern in Jesus' life. that Even though he's the son of God, he needed to come away and spend time alone with his father. And if he did, do we? Absolutely, right? And so the, the Lord is demonstrating for us, sometimes we need to come away, go aside, uh, and be alone with the Lord. I know that we are, sometimes we're in situations like a young mother's, and uh, who is it? Susanna Wesley, the, the mother of John and Charles Wesley, had a bunch of kids, 20 kids, something like that. Anyway, sometimes you can't come away. Uh, what was it? She would pull her, sit down and pull her apron up over her head, and her kids knew that's the time not to bother mom. You know, she's coming away into God's presence. So sometimes we might have to get creative, but it's a choice. And uh, so another example is that the Lord is calling us to rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, like the Apostle Paul did. He's the one that wrote that, and he says, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That... That's an amazing statement when he says, this is God's will. You know, if, if you want to do God's will, here's a very direct way you can, right? And, uh, and we see that in Paul's life as well, at least one picture. In Acts 16, when he and Silas were put in prison in Philippi because of a riot that, uh, I wouldn't say they started it, but they sparked it, I guess, uh, by, by doing what God wanted them to do. And here's what it says. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. And so we know what happened from that. They, they were set free, but they didn't leave. They prevented the jailer from killing himself to, because the jailer thought everybody, all the prisoners were going to escape. And, uh, the jailer and his whole household was saved and baptized that night. And then they were released the next day. And uh, an amazing miracle. Did it have anything to do with them? Uh, singing hymns and praying to God after when they're in this horrible situation, really. Their feet are in the stocks, and they're chained. In a, and it probably wasn't quite as nice as our prisons today. Uh, and, uh, and God did that. What will God do in and through our lives 
if we make the choice to rejoice, to pray and give thanks in any circumstance just like they did. And this is something the Lord's pointing out to us. Uh, The Lord is also calling us to enter his glorious presence just like Moses did. And uh, it says in Exodus, uh, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai after being in God's presence with the two tablets of the covenant of the law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. And it talks about, I mean, radiant. It's not like, oh, he was smiling, that's what we think. But no, this was a supernatural thing. Like, there was glory, light, bright light shining off his face to the extent that it goes on to say that he put a veil over his face so, his, so all the other people wouldn't have to wear sunglasses when they looked at him, you know. Uh, so evidently it was a thing that, that lasted like, this, this came from Moses being in the presence of the Lord. And you might think, well, that was the Old Testament. That was a cool miracle. That's not, that doesn't happen today. But um, Paul describes to the Corinthians advantages of our ministry, our relationship with God in the new covenant through Jesus, through the Holy Spirit uh, being present with us and in us over the old covenant that Moses ministered to under, that Moses ministered under, that was based on the law. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he actually compares it to Moses and the shining face and the veil. And in verse 7, he, he tells them, now, if the ministry that brought death, that's Moses and the law, because the law brings death, because no one keeps the law, which was engraved in letters on the stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was. Will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? How many of you have the ministry of the Spirit? I just want to ask. If you're believers, everybody should be raising your hand because we have the Holy Spirit. And so we're in that ministry Uh, how will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of of that which lasts. So it's telling us a fact. Paul is saying, our ministry that we have is greater than the ministry of Moses. And Moses stood on a mountain in the presence of God. But what he's saying is, we are in the presence of God. He is actually dwelling within us by the Holy Spirit. And does that mean that we're going to be glowing? We don't need flashlights anymore? Uh, I don't know. It, it could be possible. But what it's saying is there is glory. God's glory is reflected in and through us. Uh, Verse 18 goes on, skipping to verse 18, it says, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. 
So what does this glory mean? I don't know. It could mean a lot of things, depending on how God manifests. But what's, what he's saying is, the Holy Spirit is present with us and working through us, and we are being transformed more and more increasingly to be like Jesus. And so the Lord is calling us to say, hey, choose to come into my presence because as you do, I am transforming you to be more and more like Jesus. And you might say, well, I'll never be like Jesus. Jesus is the Son of God. Well, but actually, Jesus said we will do the things that he did. And the New Testament writers say that the goal of our faith is that we not just individuals, but we as a body are corporately being transformed to become like Jesus, to be more and more until we are like Jesus. And you might say, well, that in heaven, okay, we will, we will be that way. But it's saying, no, you're being transformed now to become more and more like Jesus. Do we always see that? Well, no, we don't always see that. But it says we are growing. Does it involve our choices? I think so. I mean, what happens in our life and what we do with our lives, uh, it's, I'm just saying the Christian life is not a passive thing. Right? And we have choices. And what I think the Lord is saying is he's inviting us, dwell in my presence. In these ways that I'm talking about, dwell in my presence. Choose to dwell in my presence. Because that will lead to us more and more becoming like Jesus and, uh, you know, this close fellowship with the Lord, it's actually the purpose for which all humanity, all of us, were created. When you think back to Adam and Eve, before sin entered the world, they were dwelling in his presence. I don't know if their faces were shining like Moses, but they were dwelling in his presence, and sin broke that, and they were banished from the garden. But the Bible is very clear that Jesus Christ has now restored that relationship, and, and he has given the Holy Spirit, baptized us and filled us with the Holy Spirit uh, so that we can dwell with him. And, uh, you know, our experience of it, this is true, but our day-to-day experience of it depends somewhat on our own mindset, our own beliefs, our own choices to dwell in his presence, in the way I'm describing. And Paul says that the glory available in God's presence for us under the new covenant through relationship with the Holy Spirit is much greater even than that, what, what Moses experienced. He, he says in, in first, Second Corinthians 3, we are made competent ministers by partaking in this glorious relationship. Uh, We as elders met uh, yesterday to talk about how we felt like the Lord was leading us as a church uh, for this coming year. And you'll hear more more about that later. But uh, one of us brought up the fact that God had put uh, Isaiah 61 on his heart, which was about Jesus. It said it was a prophecy about Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, um, to heal, to bind up the brokenhearted, to heal those who are sick, to set captives free. And it goes on and on. The ministry that God's 
the, the ministry of Jesus, really. And Jesus read that when he went into the synagogue in, in his hometown, and they tried to push him off a cliff because they said, you can't do that. But he is the Messiah. They were wrong. But that applies not only to him, but to us now as we uh, walk, uh, as we follow his call as his disciples. And uh, so we, Paul is saying, we are made competent ministers by partaking in this glorious relationship and we're being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory by fellowshipping in his presence. We are open to fellowship with him at any time, at all times. We are called to dwell with him. You can, we could dwell in we're called to dwell in his house, dwell in him, really. Sometimes we dwell in difficult situations, but you know what? We can choose to dwell in him. We might be dwelling in fear, but you know what? We can choose to dwell in him. We might be dwelling, I don't know what, what's, on, what's your situation, whatever it is, but actually you're called that you can dwell in him. I've got a really hard thing coming up. You know what? But I can walk through it dwelling in him. Understand what, what I'm saying. Um, so today, brothers and sisters, let us choose what is better like Mary did. Let us come away from the distractions like Jesus did. Let us enter his presence like Moses did. Let us rejoice, pray, and give thanks in all circumstances like Paul did. He is calling us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We give thanks and praise. First of all, we humble ourselves before you. We bow down before you. Um, and we thank you that you have forgiven us our sins through Jesus. Lord, we confess our sins to you, but we receive your forgiveness. We know that's already been paid for, every bit of it. And Jesus has made a way at all times, on any day, at any time, for us to come into your presence. Lord, we know you, that you are always present. You're present everywhere. You're omnipresent. But you have called us to live in your presence, to make a conscious choice, to, to fellowship with you at all times. And it's available at all times. And we, we give thanks to you, Lord. We give thanks to you for that. And I just pray that you would give us grace. Give us grace and the mindset and the faith and, uh, and the ability that in all things we would choose to dwell, to abide in your presence. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your presence with us. Thank you that you have called us uh, for us to walk with you each day, to dwell with you. Uh, show us how, how to walk in that more and more, that we might become more and more like Jesus in ever-increasing glory. In your name we pray and we give thanks. Amen.